Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the program. It's your host with the most hopsy baby boy. It's the Podject, episode 11. You heard it here first. So good afternoon, good evening, or good night, folks. Always a pleasure to have you. And um, I think we had a good episode last week. Had a lot of good reception from the Trey Lewis interview. Uh, a lot of fun with him, and uh, hopefully we'll have him back on one day in a different capacity, talk about some different things. That'd be very nice, very, very nice. But, folks, it's just going to be me this episode. No guests this week, but uh, I'm, I'm working on some cool stuff happening in the future. So I'm just going to keep you guessing. Sometimes it'll be me. Sometimes there will be a guest. You know, there's going to be a different dynamic here on this program. But I feel like if you've uh, paid attention to any of the episodes along the way so far, you've realized that there is no set in stone motion for how this thing is going to unravel as we go. And that's the, kind of the way I want it to have, want, want it to happen, all right? So I want to be able to go here. I want to be able to uh, diversify myself as a young, independent journalist. Um, I watched a little bit of The Social Dilemma. Um, I watched not all of it, but I watched a bit of it on Netflix, and it is an absolute must, I believe, for all of us to see um, a great reminder, again, of how scary technology really is and how much of it we don't um, fully understand or know the long-term effects of. The Internet's not very old yet, but it's become severely integrated in our lives in not a very short span, and it's only going to be getting more integrated as we go. I mean, there's not going to be such thing as less integration. So... It is scary. I remember um, there were some big videos that uh, became viral and got a lot of popularity. You'd see them pop up uh, five, six years ago about the importance of uh, putting your phone down, um, enjoying you know, real life and, and not uh, divulging all your time into social media and other technologies. And I feel like I haven't seen much of that talk in a long time. And then um, this social dilemma, I walked in uh, to a friend's house the other day and it was on and I caught a little bit of it. And pretty fucking scary. I mean, it's only getting worse, too. And, and I find, I think we can all agree that uh, Facebook that we all got when we were in seventh grade, which for me would have been back in 2007, um, the landscape's looking a little different today, uh, to say the least. I mean, I never really understood what an algorithm was. And I was, um, like, you know, I obviously understood that it had the ability to uh, figure out what people want and uh, what they need in the internet and uh, kind of finds a way to spit it back towards them. And I was thinking about that actually last week in terms of hopefully talking about that one day on the pr- on the program. But um, it was almost like I had thought, manifested the thought and then the social dilemma like answered it for me. And I'm not some science, I mean, whatever you call it, coding, computer computer technician, but I mean, these algorithms essentially are, they're derived by people. And then once they get going, they just know what to do and they just keep finding ways to program. And um, and I guess the, the term was that they, their algorithms are made to compute computer nodes. And in terms of social media, we are those computer nodes that they are computing. So it's basically like Facebook, all these social media and all these other, you know, technologies that we have at our uh, fingertips right now are basically just finding ways to attract us more and more into their applications and essentially f- just put stuff in our faces that's going to make us want to spend more time on their programs. And that's terrifying. It really is. I mean, we're like we're going to see it right in front of us, but people are just getting information shoved down their throat that they think they believe, and it's being used to basically brainwash them. And, I mean, we're, we're not very good at having um, diversifying opinions and um, 
you know, we don't like hearing what we don't believe in. And it, it's getting really scary. And um, I mean, that I was really glad that I did watch it. It made me take a step back and, you know, realize how much time, especially with this quarantine, we're all stuck in here with nothing to do a lot of times. This lockdown has really made us all probably more dependent on our phones than ever. And I think it's a must that everyone should go and watch that program and absolutely scare the living shit out of yourself because it's it's scary that we're, we're the product in all these social medias. You know, long-term goal is to get their, our attention for long periods of time. And by doing so, that guarantees that they're going to have shareholder wealth be derived from these advertising campaigns and all this stuff they're doing. They're shoving it right down our fucking throats. It's wild. It's wild. That's why I feel like in a way... You know what? You should be a really big fan of this show, this program. I got no fucking advertisers. Everything I've done here is organic. Um, if you if you're listening to this show, there's a good chance you know who I am. Um, if not, someone has told you about the show, has passed it along to you firsthand. I doubt that you found it on iTunes. I, I doubt you went onto any anything and it just popped up in your face, unless it's my tweets. Um, I only have one social media. I guess uh, we'll say accounts. I have my I don't have, I have uh, my personal Instagram, my Facebook, Twitter, um, and I have a TikTok that I do nothing with. But I mean, there's not a lot of avenues I'm putting this out there. So I I, I hope that this is getting to you organically. Um, much of the content that we see right now, I believe, is severely watered down, and it's very hard to relate to. Um, a lot of our mainstream news platforms are just, as I've mentioned in, in, in just this last episode, are, are just repeating each other. Um, there's no real, I guess, difference in thought. I mean, it's so hard to get news in Canada right now, and I'm not acting like I'm some news source, but I just maybe if, if, if it's possible that I'm some sort of maybe a breath of fresh air, you know, something else to listen to that's not... Um, I mean, in half the time, I, I hate... I'm getting so sick of celebrities, especially through this quarantine, this pandemic... Like, just shut the fuck up, man. I don't need you coming barking down from the ivory tower telling us all what to do in the madness that's turned out to be in 2020. Like, if there's anyone more disconnected with the world, it's these celebrities and all these people that have the voice and all these people that need to be heard. Shut the fuck up. Like, literally. Just shut up. I could give two fucks. They sh like, I, I, I want you to go out there and I want you to act in your movies. I want you to sing your songs. But apart from that, shut the fuck up. I don't need to hear it. I don't want to hear it. And, I, and when you start blabbing your mouth, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn it off and not take it seriously. Let me listen to a real human being who's going through some shit, who's, who's done some cool things. I mean, a lot of celebrities have done some cool things. A lot of them have been famous for years. They're so out of touch with the world. That they, I wouldn't even want to have a conversation. Like if you met them, it'd be sweet. Yeah, shake their hand, let them go on their way. You don't want to hang out with these people. All these people we idolize on Instagram, all these celebrities, we don't want, you don't want them to come to your party in rural southern Ontario, somewhere in Canada. You don't want them there. It'd be a fucking terrible time. These people are duds. They're absolute bums, probably, for a majority of the, a majority of the time. And, like, it's the same thing that goes. Like, do you remember growing up and, like, you know, maybe you had a friend that had a lot of money growing up and, and you know, maybe you met him through hockey or something like that and, you know, technically, you, are, you know, you met him through a sport like that, but you know, in certain ways, you're from totally different worlds. And you immediately start noticing it when you're a young kid, like just their habits, they're selfish, they're, they have no common sense. Like, that's, that goes for a lot of people that are rich and, and grow up like that. And like the people that have never had to ride the bus and, 
and and sit there and learn like personal cues of when to shut the fuck up socially and to know what's right what's wrong what's expected of people like because they haven't been out there and they haven't done those things they haven't lived the life that's given them those opportunities to learn social cues learn how to make conversations learn when to not make conversations which is an absolute huge problem i find these days but one thing I, i've really started to notice the last couple of years and this has been right across the board and i've mentioned this to a couple of people but I've never really heard anyone else speak on this and maybe this was my opportunity to do it. This is a perfect segue. I find you can really judge someone very well by if they actually listen to you and if they can really formulate a conversation by doing so. A lot of the time when we have conversations, we get onto a topic, we get onto a tangent and all the conversation is, is you give someone your experience, you tell them a story and then the person talking back to you, I find majority of the time, They don't even really hear what you said. They haven't even been listening to what you said because now that you're on the topic, all they've been doing is waiting for their chance to speak to bring up their own experience of something relevant to the situation. They're not really giving a fuck what you just said. You know what I mean? A lot of conversations I find, you know, you can end up, you can find how how good of a friend or how how, um, in-depth, I don't want to say the conversation or the connection, I guess we will say, is with someone if they actually give a fuck about what you're saying or if they're using it as just an opportunity to keep talking about themselves. And think about this, if you do this, don't like when you when you when someone's talking to you, are you going to be able to hear what they're saying and give them back something of substance or are you just going to use it as an opportunity to continue to talk about yourself? A lot of conversations, you know, they got to go both ways, but you know, a lot of times the conversation has a lot to do with listening. And I find that's a, a big thing that is hard to do on these podcasts, on these interviews, and I'm trying to get better at is actually listening to the person that I have on air with me. I don't want to get absent in my mind thinking about the next question that I'm going to ask the person instead of actually paying attention to what's coming out of their mouth and how I can possibly use that to make the conversation even better. That's what I'm working on here, folks. All right? Good. Good. I mean, now even after watching a program, like I just mentioned, The Social Dilemma, I don't even know if I want to pursue monetization through this podcast. I had a perspective ad read that I was going to start doing with a company whom I actually met through my cousins. It was someone from the East Coast. And I'm sure that we're still going to make that happen because that was an organic relationship and not one shoved down my throat by the likes of Facebook and other media groups. All right. All right. Okay. God, my internet is being absolutely juvenile right now, really hindering my research. And I tell you right now, if I was ever going to hire someone, I just want to hire one of those guys all those podcasters have. You know, the guy that just sits in the background, he might say like a couple sentences a show, but he's just there with the laptop and he's got that thing buzzing. He's making decisions in the back here. You can just hear his fingers going, enhance, enhance over and over again. Folks, some weird shit going on right now that's been bothering me. And um, good for new, good news for you, the viewer. Um, not sure where you reside in this earth. Maybe you're, maybe you're from far, far, far abroad, but probably not. If you're listening to this, you're probably from Canada. So another little bit of Canadian news here, folks. Um, the Quebec government has asked the QMJHL to ban fighting before they provide funding. So as we all know, uh, Major Junior, all these fucking leagues have been pushed way back. 
The Quebec League is supposed to start in about a month. I don't know if they're start. The Western League and the OHL are both starting December 4th, I believe is their plan. I believe that the OHL is playing 64 games season, which is like only like four less than they usually play. They play 68. Uh, the Western League is probably going to be right around there, 60-something. And um, the Q is doing the same thing. They're doing a 60-game season. But the interesting thing is um, Quebec, because it's an absolute COVID-19 cesspool up there, they will have no fans. But the maritime teams, the six maritime teams, will have some variety of fans. Depends on the differentiation of uh, provincial guidelines, you know, Prince Edward Island, Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, etc. But the Quebec provincial government is considering subsidizing Quebec, only the Quebec-based teams, too. Uh, with $20 million of help to keep them afloat during the pandemic. Because like I said, these teams are going to get fucked if there's no fans. I just don't see how they're going to be able to do it. So $20 million, I believe there's what? Is there 22 Q teams? I'm not even going to look it up, but it's right around there. So there's six teams in the in the um, maritime division. So what's that? There's fucking, I'm t- am I stupid? I can't even do that math in my head right now. There's 16, there's 16 uh, Quebec teams then? Um, doesn't matter. It's late in the night here. But what I'm trying to say is the Quebec education minister, Isabelle Charest, says before the province cuts a check, she'd like to see the league remove fighting as a whole just to get rid of it. And just so we all are aware, the guy who had the most fights in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League last year had seven. The guy who led the league in fights had seven. Think about that for a second. First of all, for anyone who doesn't know anything about hockey, that's a fucking absolute minuscule number. Like, fighting is completely stopped. It doesn't really exist anymore. And for these people who have nothing to do with the game, to, com- to just keep, like, requesting more and more bans on the game, just wanting to change it. And I know that they surely have an effect on the game in this pan- instance if they're looking for $20 million. But, I mean, does that make sense for the government to provide funding to something if they're just going to ask them to change the rules. And maybe I'm naive. I'm sure this happens all the time. But it's just fucking stupid. Who the hell is Isabel Charest? The education minister? Why is she even commenting on this? Um, I don't understand. I, I don't think anything's happened about this. I saw a tweet from um, a guy who was a journalist. And so we're, I'm, I'm not trying to cite a tweet. But someone said that they had a league vote on it. They needed 12 votes for it to pass. And they only got 10. So I'm not sure how this is going to affect the funding that's going to be, uh, you know, hopefully received these Q teams so these kids can play. But, I mean, come the fuck on, man. Like, it's absolutely ludicrous, man. Like, one thing I just, I don't get about the hockey fighting argument, it's I've never seen so much decisions be made on a sport that no one is actively involved with. Not people that have played or whatever, or are involved with like the upper office echelon, you know, that bullshit. I see no one on the ice playing the game of hockey asking for any of the game to be changed in any duration. It's people who watch the game. It's not people who play the game. It's And that just goes for the... It's, it's the same thing on hockey Twitter, which you think means hockey culture. It's a bunch of fucking idiots running their thumbs on their on their screens here, just saying whatever they want. It it makes no sense, and I just feel like this is just a this is just a headline. We're just getting more and more used to hearing about this to the day that fighting will be removed from the game, and it'll be absolutely horrific. Seven fights that was the leading guy in the in the queue last year. 
my first year in the Western League, I had not, I had nine, I think I had eight in regular season. And I was like fifth on my team in fights. Like I should have fought a lot more that year. And I had more fights than the guy who led the Quebec league last year. Like it's a sin. It's a sin. Guys were fighting over 50 times a year. I'm not saying that's unreal and that needs to happen. And we need to go back to that. But what a change. Like, I can't remember when I was 17, I said this on this show before, the guy Darren Kramer fought 48 times in 60 games and he gets himself drafted in the NHL. I mean, it just sucks. We don't, we're not going to see these types of players. That sells a fuck ton of popcorn. That makes hockey incredibly unique. It makes it, it, makes it like modern folklore. I mean, it's just really sad because, I mean, Major Junior was unbelievable. When I was young, going to the Calgary Hitman games at the Style Dome, watching bench-clearing brawls and stuff. I mean, it was fun. And trust me, believe me, I, and I, I know there's ramifications to hockey fighting, and there, it is dangerous, and it's not by any means um, the safest thing that anyone could be doing in sport. And I'm sure by getting rid of it, no, no shit, you're going to make the sport safer. But what does the sport making it safer mean? Is it, like, you're, I, that's an aspect of the sport that's been in the sport forever. Why are we taking it away? I just don't, it just doesn't make any sense to me. I understand the safety aspect. But one thing that no one ever talks about in this argument is, again, the two guys on the ice, there's no instigator rule. Hasn't been in play for decades. So that's not in the conversation here. It's two guys agreeing to drop their gloves and fight. No one is, they don't have to. And clearly, seven fights is the leading guy in the queue. That's the biggest nail in the queue right now. I mean, no one's fighting. No one's being forced to fight out there. So why are we trying to get rid of stuff that doesn't even need to get rid of? It doesn't make any sense to me. I hope they make an XHL. Why can't the WWE buy that? Like, fuck the XFL. Let's make an XHL and make it an absolute zoo. I'll be the commissioner of it. And it'll be an absolute zoo. It'll be like the LNAH. A lot of people have no idea what the LNAH is. Google it. It is this league. I think it's like, I can't speak French, but it's league... North America hockey, I think is what it stands for. And this place is an absolute jungle. Still is to this day, not even close to is what it would have been like mid-2000s. But do a little bit of research and go check this place out. They used to pay guys by the fight. They used to have um, places in, um, they're, all, they're all in Quebec. I think they used to have like a team in, in Cornwall at one point. But they're all, they're all in Quebec in these crazy French towns you've never heard of. And the place goes wild. Just YouTube some fights. There's been guys, like, there was guys that were in there that were UFC fighters at the time that were, like, doing this between fights. Like, a guy named Sean McMorrow, I, they call him Sean the Sheriff McMorrow, he fought 83 times, and I want to say it was 2005 and 2006 or something like that. I think it was for Sorrell Tracy. I got a lot of buddies I follow hard on Twitter, and they got great, great enforcer podcasts. You got to listen to them. I got one named Fourth Line Voice. His name's Darren. He's an absolute beauty. I was hoping to make it work and we were going to get on his show soon. I'm supposed to be a guest on his show soon. And there's another guy. His name's Alec and he runs one called Five for Fighting. And if you ever want to just randomly just go look up their episode logs and see some of these interviews they have with these guys, man. They're fucking legit. They're so good. They tell the best stories. Like, you know, those. I, I've always found like I like spitting chiclets a lot, but sometimes it's the guys you've never heard of that have the best stories and they just let it fly and some of these guys got some amazing stories. So I fully recommend you checking it out. But anyways, not to get off on the tangent of what I was trying to talk about, about 
know, the Quebec government asking them to stop uh, fighting for, for them to provide funding. I just think it's just a sad indication of where this game's unfortunately headed with people making decisions that aren't necessarily involved with the game. We're, we're looking to appease people that don't look at hockey for anything more than a headline. Like we're, we're appeasing people that don't actually care for our game. And I don't know, we're alienating. I was just, I don't even want to continue talking about it. It's a fucking joke. But another hilarious thing has happened. And I feel like we've talked about lawsuits against the Canadian league again, Canadian hockey league before, but this is a new one. And this came out a couple weeks ago and I meant to talk about it about an episode or two ago. So this isn't by no means new news, but a lot of you have probably heard about this, but I looked into it a little bit more. I did some reading and I found out some things that I hadn't realized a bit. So, I mean, it was it was necessary for me to do so. So I think by speaking on it, maybe I'll shed some light to others who I've seen uh, speaking about it as well. Um, so the latest one is a, a lawsuit alleging the NHL and junior leagues, they conspire to limit players' opportunities. So here we go. And first of all, the claim is filed by a 21-year-old former WHL player. So 21 former, like meaning this fucking past season he was playing games in the, in the league. So a proposed class action lawsuit alleges that North America's most powerful hockey leagues are conspiring to limit the opportunities of our young players. The claim has been filed by Kobe Moore, a 21-year-old Lloydminster, Alberta man who played for four teams in the Western League from 2015 to 2020. Um... This isn't just against the, the, the CHL as well. This is against the NHL, um, the WHL, the Q, the O, uh, the American League, the Coast, and Hockey Canada. Those are all the listed defendants. Um, obviously, the Dub, O, and Q falling under that CHL um, umbrella, which has already had three other class action lawsuits fucking filed against them since May. I mean, these guys are the hottest thing in the courtroom, I think, at the moment. Um, this more recent one also asks for financial compensation, which is just a huge thing, um, but they're only asking for this part of it from the CHL. But the suit alleges that defendants who participated in an unlawful conspiracy arrangement or agreement to limit the opportunities for more and other Canadians to make a living playing pro hockey between the ages of 18 and 20. So basically what the, I thought the argument was that he, originally that the title was all it was into is that this kid thought that I don't even know how to explain it, that the, that there was a, like a way that teams were conspiring to put only certain guys on the ice, like kids that were looking to go to the NHL and, you know, they're, they were hindering other players' development by doing so. But this says the document claims the defenses have created a system where the overwhelming majority of players will never reach the top pro leagues, which is fucking like no shit they won't it's why they're the top pro leagues because the top players get there not everyone all right instead spending years playing for nominal sons of money all to the financial advantage of the defendants i don't understand that argument is he asking for more money then how are we going to get more money i don't understand. i don't know this practice creates a system that imprisons young hockey players between the ages of 16 and 20 this is the, what his lawyer said. It was a guy of some Quebec-based firm. Go figure. Um, the player in, Ca in Canada doesn't have the same rights as a European player. A Canadian player doesn't have the possibility to play in the American and East Coast leagues at 18 or 19 years old. Why would you want to? Why would, you, is it, why would that be a benefit to you to be able to play in the East Coast League at 18 or 19? You're going to go there and make 500 bucks a week, league minimum, and play against absolute behemoths? You're going to ride the bus for 72 games a year across the entire North America? 
Is that going to be better for you than staying in the Western, the, the major junior hockey, which is an absolute gold mine, absolute spoil you to death? They, tr- you, they, you, they basically wipe your ass for you. I don't understand. Like, I don't really even understand like the getting paid, like the argument. I don't get it. And like, I didn't play in the league for five years. Like this kid played parts of six seasons. He didn't play his entire 20 year old year, but like, I don't get this kid's argument. Like he had a couple good years. I mean, like his best year, he had 28 points in 58 games. It's not all about points, but I don't understand this kid's argument, really. Like, I don't understand what he's trying to get from it. He didn't finish. He played in Drumheller his 20-year-old year. Like, he didn't finish. Like, it's not like he. this kid was, like, tearing the league apart. And I don't know if that matters or not, but this kid was a first-round pick who was drafted 20th overall by the Edmonton Oil Kings in the 2014 WHL draft, which happens when they're 14 years old in ninth grade, which is wildly young. So this kid goes on. He probably was an absolute stud in Bantam, clearly was, goes first round the dub. The next year, probably tears apart mid-triple-A, gets a game or two. I'm looking at it right now. Let's look at it right now. Yeah, so he tear, he was over point per game as a 15-year-old in the Alberta mid-triple-A league. He gets called up for a game in the AJ. He gets three games in the Edmonton Oil Kings as a 15-year-old. So he's coming in there as a highly touted prospect if you're getting, you know, if you're getting games at 15, they're hoping you're going to be a stud. So he comes in, has a couple good years in Edmonton. Clearly, doesn't really pan out like he probably hoped a first-round pick would be. But, I mean, he has tw- he had 30-point year. He had a couple other years, you know, in the mid-20s there. He, he played almost 300 games. Or, or, you know, how many games did he play? No, he played 265 games. So, I mean, he got an unbelievable dub career. I don't think this guy, whom at, uh, was getting a th- had a 30-point year at 18 – in the Western League, I don't think him like, – is he arguing that he wishes he could have had the ability to go to a different league, which his argument is, is saying that European players can, which is true. They are allowed to go and play in the East Coast League and the American League at 18 and 19 when I don't – you know, North Americans are not allowed to. But that's because it's just different. It's just a different regulation for them. And he's saying that – he wishes it was more of a, a setup like over in Europe. He wishes that, um, like, you know, in Russia, some kids, you know, they're getting signed to pro teams who have, like, junior programs for their pro teams. And, you know, they end up getting, like, some financial compensation right away. But that's just not the way it's set up right now. It's obviously totally different. But I don't understand. I mean, I don't think anything's going to come out of it. He's looking for $30 million, apparently, is what it said. But apparently that now that doesn't uh, look to be fucking true. That was just an allegation. But, I mean, players in the CHL are getting treated very well. If this kid thinks that, I mean, NHL teams do, when a player gets drafted in major junior, NHL teams do throw some coin as like a bonus over those teams for getting a player drafted in NHL. And um, if they think that for some reason that that's somehow shady, um, and then is, if it, is it shady because they're trying to put the best players on the ice? I mean, this is high-level sport we're talking about. They're putting the best players in the ice. If they're conspiring to, to take away anyone's ice time, it's because you're fucking terrible and you shouldn't be on the ice. I mean, I, I, heard, I had a coach tell me once, a very smart man, an absolute freak, named David Haas. Everyone knows who I'm talking about. He's an absolute freak. Wasn't really my coach, but some of these, I know a lot of people that he coached, and he's a beauty. He's a freak. Look him up on Hockey DB. You'll see some pims up there. But he once told me, and it was ingrained in my mind, he said, if you're good, you're going to make it. If you're a good player, people are going to notice you. 
You're not going to get shafted. All the like, like Paul, like there's obviously lots of politics in hockey and lots of politics in sport. But if you are so good that you can't be ignored, I mean, that's kind of what I think. That's you know, talk with your game. I don't know what this kids are. He's 20. I just I can't go. He's 21 and he's trying to. He's literally playing in the dub this year. He's already, he's already going to sue them. Like what a tough look. I wish I could. I I I looked it up. Like I looked him up on Instagram. I I know some guys that follow him. Maybe I'll try to get in touch with him and talk to him and get him on this show. I mean, I'm by no means trying to rip on the kid, but I just find it's a, it's a very odd argument, um, and I don't think he's going to win it. I don't – like the coast in the, in the, in the AHL, I, like they they're probably won't even comment on this. Like how does that work? If they're, are they just like, – I'm not a lawyer. I need, I need some lawyer advice. Like, can, like him just throwing this lawsuit at him, like what the fuck's that really going to do? It just – I don't get it. And I've seen a lot of people were blowing up being like – thinking that this kid was basically trying to say that he didn't get a fair shake. It turns out that it's more he wishes that the whole setup of North, you know, the North American structure would be different. But, I mean, that's going to be hard to do. And I don't know if uh, that's going to be done through this lawsuit. But uh, very interesting, very interesting. I don't really know what else to say about it. It would be interesting to see what's going on. But, you know, there's about 30 fucking eight uh, lawsuits against the CHL right now. So it'll be interesting to keep up with them all. And um, maybe that's what this show will be for. No, I'm joking. Um, I have um, an absolute respect for people that just been grinding that work grind. You know, the people that work over 40 hours a week, God bless you. You know, it's a grind. It's a, it is a grind. I've been uh, very fortunate, as I said, to uh, get working. I uh, got a different got a different gig here. Started working at a liquidation store in the warehouse, which is hilarious because I went to university for 5 years and now I'm flying around a fucking warehouse with at a tool bench slinging slinging tools around and fucking screws and hammers. But it's actually been really good for me. It's been good for me. I'm not making tons of money. It's good for me to learn some new skills, get some tools in my hand. I was kind of a bitch with the tools. Wasn't much of a handyman. And you know what? I always hear people say that, they're bitching about not being good at that stuff, and you're not going to be good at it unless you get tools in your hand and start trying shit out. It's like anything. You can't be scared to fail at anything. I hate when people, like so many people, they don't try things because they're scared to fail. Um, this job has been good, though. I, it, you know, I've, I've been living with my girlfriend's parents this summer. It's been a very unique summer as, we, it, as it has been for everyone. But um, I haven't been working as much as I would have liked. So to get something you know steady and full-time here, it's been great. It's been an absolute battle, though, to fucking try and work out. I find you know, I'm on my feet all day. I'm buzzing around. The last thing you want to do after a 10-hour day is go work out. And I've been trying to do so. Um, I started the day after Labor Day. What was that, September 3rd or whatever? And I've been working there since then. And um, it's, it sucks. It just sucks ass working out after, after work. But you got to get it in. But it's even worse, I find. Like, when I wake up in the morning and I say, and especially if you want to get a lift in, like, God love you. Problem is with me, like, my workouts right now are taking me, like, two hours. So what? Are, it's just, like, knowing that it's a two-hour commitment, it's just that's when you get the little voice in your head being like, oh, you're, you're going to benefit from uh, not – working out today and getting a little more rest because you know you can fit it in tomorrow and it won't bother tomorrow you can't you gotta fucking squish that little voice and tell him to shut the fuck up because he's wrong every time he talks to you and you can't listen to that guy you gotta reprogram that head of yours to not listen to that idiot speak so i've tried a couple times to go out and work out before work but what a battle i mean the one day i took my bike out 
you know, because everyone knows I'm an avid road cyclist, an absolute machine with those pistons, get the pedals buzzing, baby. <laughs> Anyways, enough of that. But I went out the other day, and the, uh, as I get out there, I'm realizing, I'm like, man, it's, it's pitch black. I got a headlamp on my head, and I'm flying down these rural country roads by Stratford, and it's so dark that the headlamp is just illuminating the darkness for 10 feet to where it is just continually just as dark. And I got my little headlight on the front and the handlebars. It doesn't do shit. And I got the little one in the back of my seat that's red, you know, my little taillight. So hopefully I don't get absolutely mowed over by something. But I was more so concerned with that. I thought I was going to just run over like a dead raccoon or something like that or some dead animal. Tons of dead animals on these rural roads always. It seems like when you're during the day, you're just like weaving them with your bike. So I was expecting to go head over heels for that. So, I mean, I think tomorrow... It is Monday as I record this. Again, I got it a little later. I know, fuck me, I'm a loser. Um, but I'm going to adhere to that Sunday schedule, don't worry. But I'm going to try to get up tomorrow. I'm going to try to make a lift happen. I start work at 8 in the morning. So I'm thinking about getting up at 5. And I think that if a workout take me an hour and a half, I should be able to figure it out. It's about a 25-minute drive to work. So that gives me about an hour's worth of time to get from waking up to the gym and then to be ready to drive to work. So it'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see. But I have a, a very exciting topic I'm very happy to talk about, and I'm going to get the opportunity to do so for the first time on this show because I did a little bit of investigation, and it turns out that I am not breaking any laws so I can speak on it. I, um, I started a hot dog stand the last weekend of May, and I started it at uh, this liquidation store that I'm working out with. The relationship with one of the owners I have, I uh, ended up making it work. And I was at a fire pit one night, and I kind of just shot the idea by him. And he accepted it. And I didn't believe that he was serious. So for anyone that knows who I am, some might know this story. Many won't. But when I went to school and university up in North Bay... Uh, one summer, I believe it was the summer 2017, I had an American friend who I played hockey with, and he was looking to stay in the summer instead of going back to Florida. But, you know, he's an American, so he can't, you can't get a job for more than 20 hours a week, I think, without a visa as a student if you're an international student in Canada. I don't know if that's fucking across the board, but that was his scenario. So I was working at a bar, and we were trying to think about what can we do to get this guy some work. So we started thinking about stupid shit like mowing lawns, going, you know, going door to door, asking people want fences painted and you know, all the whole same bullshit you always do, window washing, all the shit you don't want to do. And then the bar I worked at, I started thinking about how at the end of the night, uh, the cabs were so bad in North Bay that people would be getting stuck forever with no, like, nowhere to go and they'd just be sitting there. So I was like, man, what if we just threw a hot dog stand right there and it would be genius. So we started looking into it. And we ended up trying to go for it. So I marched up to City Hall. I went right up there. I asked to speak to the business division, I guess you'd call it, the Chamber of Commerce, whatever. And they pointed me to some lady. They got me to fill out some forms. I was absolutely astonished in North Bay how easy it was to become a street vendor. I mean, there was like not many of them. And in North Bay, you could be a transient vendor was the, was the term. So... You didn't have to rent your spot, you know, like all these guys in Toronto, big cities you see um, that are selling the meat, they're paying rent for the spot that they leave that, that uh, little cart on, which is, you know, no surprise. But 
I was surprised in, in North Bay, you just paid a flat fee, which at the time was $156. And they had about 12 different locations through the town. And it was a first come first serve thing. So as long as you were the first one there, if another buddy came, he couldn't take the spot. And very interesting was that we found a spot right where we wanted to basically do this was by the bar at night. So we thought this is fucking starting to look up. But regulations required you to get insurance for I think it was up to two million dollars. One of my finance, uh, one of my finance uh, professors at Nipissing University was also had his own uh, what the fuck would you even call it firm insurance business. That's what it was. Um, so I marched down there and. Thank God it was a place like North Bay we could get right in. And I saw the secretary and I said, let me go see Hutchie Baby Boy. Brings me in there and he's fucking, he's like, you got a, he's probably like, you got a 51 in my class. You're going to try to open up a business. You're stupid as fuck and you're ugly. But I said, no, Timmy, listen to fucking me. You want some business? Shut the fuck up for a second. You talk to me like that for so much all the time when I was in school paying your bills. No, I'm joking. Where did I just go? That was got dark fast. Anyways, no, I walked in. Tim's an absolute beauty. Um, he's like, Kind of wondering if we were serious. Ends up saying he's going to look into the market, get us a quote. He ended up getting us a great quote. But the problem was we were going to end up spending like $4,000 before we even sell a hot dog. So I was like, what kind of business is that going to be for Nathan if we're just going to go four grand in the hole before we're even selling a dog? And it was too late in the summer for us to recoup the losses. It was, it was a sad dream that died. But I am a street meat connoisseur. I always have been. I will sprint. If I'm in like somewhere like Toronto, I've run like 10 blocks before looking for street meat and completely ruined my night before because I've searched for street meat instead of the good time I came for, which honestly is usually a better time anyways. But I've always had a soft spot for them. I love, um, especially like when you go into Toronto, I want him to kind of make, like, I want him to rush me. I want him to kind of fucking yell at me. Be like, yeah, dog, get it, go, fucking get out. Like, I love that. The hustle, the grind, it's di it's dirty and it's hilarious. So I wanted to be part of it. I mean, I got such a soft spot for guys like that, yelling on the street, telling you to get a dog and stuff like that. So I was like, this is hilarious. So I've always, ever since this thing in North Bay got shut down, my love for it has not stopped. So as I went back, sorry to get into that, but I had to explain where this is coming from. I uh, was at a fire recently, as I said, late May, and we ended up coming up with the idea to start this, and I did. So since I've been doing it every weekend since May, so I do Fridays and Saturdays. I'm located out in Wellesley. Uh, I, I I was gonna get a cart, but the, pro the but I didn't. And it, the beauty of it all is, because I'm on a private property with permission from the owner, and I have my food handler's permit from like working at restaurants and shit. I'm golden, baby. No one can even touch me. Come up to the stand. You ain't getting nothing but a dog in your mouth. I can tell you that today, folks. You're hungry? Not for long. Not for long. So I was keep keeping this like completely under wraps. Like for some reason, I didn't even want to tell people because I thought like the IRA was going to come and fucking beat the shit out of me in the streets, which is probably still going to come. But yeah, I didn't want to get blacklisted by the government, but I but I but I won't now as I found out this. So you're not, you know, I'm a, I'm a podcasting street meet potential. That's what I am. I'm a podcasting street vendor. So, I mean, I don't know if that's been done before. So I'm, I'm proud to take this unique route and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm proud to have you all come on this journey with me. It's going to be fun. Um, it's been an absolute experience though. I will tell you, uh, I've really enjoyed it. All I sell is uh, I sell maple leaf hot dogs. And then one of my buddies, his parents are farmers in the area. So I've been uh, buying their meat 
Beautiful meat from Young Butt Meats located down there in Tavistock, East Zora. Beautiful location there, Ontario. Uh, they raise all their own cattle, uh, and they butcher it themselves, uh, and they're great people. And uh, it's it's great meat. So I sell a hot dog for 3 bucks. I sell a sausage for four fifty, and I sell a burger for 5 uh, A little 50 cents extra there for cheese. I got uh, pop for $1.50, water for a dollar. You want to come by? You want to get a little soda? A little soda, a little pop? Maybe a little slap in your mouth, a little, little sausage in the throat? Huh? A little hog in the mouth? Think about it. I mean, it's been fun, though. You mean... I, I never really, I've always wanted to start something. You know, I had that entrepreneurial spirit. I found that in university. I did. And, I, and I've wanted to do something. And in my eyes, I've started my own first little business, okay? So if you think I'm stupid, fuck you. Fuck you. You're not making a dog empire. You're probably sitting there with your thumb up your ass doing nothing, all right? So no, it's been fun though. And people are so hilarious. And especially, I mean, launching a hot dog stand during a global pandemic might've been like an odd time to do so. 100%, I realize that. But I had to create industry. I had to create that industry for Southern Ontario because I believe that by doing so, I am making Canada a stronger country. I'm providing economic benefit to not only supporting local farmers, I'm helping our local grocers, and I am helping the people who are shoppers, who are goers, who are out and about on a Friday and a Saturday in rural Ontario in the Wellesley location located near Kitchener-Waterloo area. I'm providing them with food. They don't have to run around. They can enjoy the shop. They don't do an empty stomach. They have a good time, and they have a good quality meat going into their mouth. I guarantee it every fucking time. I take this shit seriously too. Maybe I'll take a little picture of the stand next time I'll put it up. You guys will understand what the fuck I'm working with here. It's, it's impressive shit. Um, you don't know entrepreneurial hustle. You don't know the hustle or the grind until you're trying to take a six liter gallon thing of ketchup with no ladle, funnel, or spoon, and you're trying to dump that into a little Heinz bottle and with, with a line of 100 people in front of you trying to get into a store, and they're watching you pour it all over your fucking disgusting hands, and then you wipe it on your chest, on your shirt, and you have dirty ketchup all over your shirt when you're trying to sell dogs the rest of the day, and people think it's disgusting, but you think it's sweet because this is what you want to love to do. This is what you do because you have a passion, passion that was derived from an institution called Nipsey University in the entrepreneurial course with Diane Davis. She gave me a 97 in that course because I did a fucking presentation on a thing called potato parcel that went to dragon's den i don't even think they got a fucking sniff from anyone but it was the most funny thing i've ever seen in my life that's where i got inspiration wow that got offside but no i enjoy it and i'm going to continue to enjoy it and um there's gonna be a lot of enjoyment through this show um i got um i got some good times to talk to you guys all about i've thought about some uh, some really good stories and um we're going to continue this show i am Really looking forward to some new segments that are going to be coming up on the program. And um, we're going to be looking for some new... I want like I, I need to shake it up here. I'm going to try... I want to get a hold of a politician somehow. Maybe I'll reach out and message this guy who was in the lawsuit, Kobe Moore. Maybe he'll listen to the episode I just had and think I'm an absolute dickhead. And he'll come on here and just start yelling at me. Wouldn't that be fun? But until then, um, thanks for listening. This has been so much fun. Um, I just hope that uh, we can just continue to be part of this together. And uh, again, you didn't find this by some stupid advertisement, hopefully not some sick algorithm derived by the dirty, dirty Mark Zuckerberg. Joking. But um, yeah, I'm excited. This this show rolls on. Um, I'm probably going to not even edit this at all. 
I'm just going to release this as a straight shot. All right. I don't even think I'm going to add any, um, any sort of other direction to it at all. I might just let it fly and you can see how it, how it happens, folks. I just recorded this in one straight go. I might add a little fun here at the end. But folks, this is episode 11. Thanks for joining me. I love you all. Oh, man. Just watching that news every day can certainly give a young lad the COVID-19 blues. Here's a little song my good friend Wheeler Walker Jr. wrote to express how he's feeling during these times. If you know the words, feel free to join me. Somewhere in China, a bat took a leak. He pissed all over some uncooked meat. Some dude bowed it and he scarfed it down. He got real sick and then he passed it around. Long story short, now my brother's in the ground. Now I'm stuck at home, all alone. Keeping both hands clean. I hope I don't die from the COVID-19. I wanna get to the bank and unload my cash. Not for spinning, but for wiping my ass. I should have stocked up on water and bread. I'm hungry as hell and Kenny Rogers is dead. It wasn't from COVID, at least that's what they said. But we don't believe them. Now I'm stuck at home, all alone, keeping both hands clean. I hope I don't die from the COVID-19. Tom Hanks was a hell of a guy. Rand Paul, now I'm starting to cry. Idris Elba, I don't know who that is. But now I'm stuck at home, all alone. Keeping both hands clean I hope I don't die from the cool Vietnam I hope I don't die from the cool Vietnam